able to function or will they make compromises with other groups? So there's disappointment and uncertainty. You are listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And on Backchat this morning, uh, we're talking about the government's proposal for congestion charging, uh, which would aim to ease the traffic jams at the uh, Cross Harbour tunnels. Uh, the uh, Transport Minister, Frank Chan, uh, on Friday he said the administration planned uh, to consult the public in the last quarter of this year on the proposal. Uh, it's talking about uh, private vehicle drivers being charged at various uh, different levels. Uh, at the tunnels throughout the day um, would cost more travelling in rush hour, for instance, um, and this would happen when the government takes back the Western Harbour crossing uh, from the current uh, operator of the franchise. Uh, uh, to talk about this, uh, we're joined on the line by Michael Teen, a uh, roundtable lawmaker and member of the panel on transport, and also Alec, Alec Jane, uh, CEO of Trans Consult, uh, Transport uh, Consultancy. Um, good morning to you both. Uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, Michael Teen uh, first. Um, you have uh, other ideas as well about uh, how to improve the uh, traffic through, uh, through the tunnels. But uh, um, what do you think about this dynamic pricing idea? Well, um, there are a couple of elements to this. First of all, uh, when government uh, takes back the uh, Western Tunnel, uh, the question we must ask ourselves is why should government even charge uh, tolls and public roads? Uh, what should be the purpose? And what, uh, uh, what, what, objectives, uh, what objectives should it achieve? Uh, I believe it should not be based on return on investment, uh, nor should it be uh, regarding uh, government revenue. It should serve a very uh, single-minded objective, which is to uh, distribute uh, the traffic evenly across the three tunnels. Now, where the government should increase the price to an extent to uh, uh, discourage people to drive and take public transport, that's a huge political debate and very, very controversial because then it infringes on people's right to drive. I mean, you know, you could increase it to $100 or whatever. So if we take that out of the equation, the idea for me is to even out the traffic. Uh, so therefore, we were expecting that it would increase the fare in Hong Kong and decrease the fare in the Western Tunnel. The problem today is that Western Tunnel, even at such a high fare, what is it, two or three times of a Hong Kong, mm. is already at 98% capacity, and the others are way above 100. So uh, even when they increase Hong Kong and decrease uh, Western Tunnel, all of them will be above 100, right? Right. So what is the problem? What, what can we do? Uh, you know, should we just increase all the fares to discourage people from driving, or should we create incentive to allow people to drive to work, but put more people in each car to reduce the number of cars crossing the tunnel. So this is where I come in. I pro 
holds that all three tunnels during peak hour traffic, when you have three or more people in a passenger car, it should be free. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, to create incentive for people to have carpools, uh, you know, with friends upstairs, downstairs, going to a single point uh, somewhere in central. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I think that kind of direction is something we should at least continue in terms of a dialogue. Now, I had also proposed maybe a 50% discount for two people, but then it involves a tricky situation where I do not have a solution, which is a lot of people have a driver. So yes. then you are <laughs> benefiting the rich. All yes. right. So it doesn't sound good, but honestly, how many people employ drivers to work? All right. There's still a lot of people who drive on a single basis, and if they can find one other person to go with him or her, if you can get the, uh, the fare down to 50%, I think uh, that should be actually but, uh, easier to do uh, uh, sort of alternative. Michael, surely one of the dangers of that approach is that you could be taking someone off the bus into his friend's car r- rather than reducing the number of vehicles yes, on the yes, road at all. I thought of that too. Okay, so I look at some interesting statistics. Everybody expects that people driving their car to work along the East Rail line will switch to train when it becomes so convenient. And uh, I was very surprised to see that uh, the Cross Harbor Tunnel private car numbers after May 16 actually hasn't dropped at all. So I tend to believe that people who ride the bus to work, people who ride the rail to work, and people who drive are distinctively different people. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's a habit. It's a, a it's a habit. There are many many yeah. reasons why people do these things. It has something to do with where they live and where they work and the type of work and what are they looking for uh, in that particular mode. Right. Whether they can talk freely, privately, uh, you know, you know, in a car, or they enjoy, you know, just some quiet time, music. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. But and there's a psychological factor here, surely. Once people have started driving, they own a car and they've started driving, it's very hard to push them back to public transport, isn't it? Now, that, what, what, I find my, my, what I find amazing once I floated this idea is that people start questioning what happens if this idea is too successful. That's what you're saying, right? If this idea is too successful, then it's taking people off the bus and putting people in the private car. But I tell you, if that's the case, what is the problem? Because right now the biggest problem is the private cars increasing at a non-stop rate. It keeps going up and up and up, even when government increased the first registration tax. Mm -hmm. My whole purpose is to reduce the number of private cars going through the tunnel. Mm. If by doing so, they do take some people off the bus, but they reduce the number of private cars going through the tunnel, then people who ride the bus are happier because the bus will travel faster. Okay. Well, let's bring in uh, Alec, Alec Jane, CEO of uh, TransConsult. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. So, uh, do you think that would work, uh, uh, Michael Teen's uh, suggestion about ride-sharing? Well, well I, I, I don't think that will work because, again, it's the same issue. I think he mentioned that people don't shift away from the cars. And um, obviously, people 
who are using cars, they are hard to change behavior unless there is a bigger stick. But some of the interesting points he made about right to drive, and I think that's, a, that's the first time I've heard that word. I know right to mobility, uh, where people want to move from one place to another. And Hong Kong still largely 85, more than 85% of the daily travel is on public transport. And, and I cannot imagine that just because people want to drive cars, uh, we want to go to this extent of putting a right to drive kind of a, uh, you know, approach to, towards mobility. Now, obviously, most of the countries around the world, what they are doing at the moment, they are looking at whether you want to move people or you want to move vehicles. And I think that's a fundamental question for any city's mobility. Hong Kong has one of the lowest amount of road space in the world, and rightly so, because our land use and all that city design is designed towards usage of the public transport. And we only have about 16% of the urban area as a, as a road space, which is among the lowest. So if in that, if we want to fit in more cars, it is just not going to work. We need to, I'm actually taking it to further extreme, not only that the government should increase the toll for cars, but they should also dedicate one lane in each of the tunnels for buses. 80% of the people, you know, move with 8% of the buses through these tunnels. Now, the answer is right there staring at you, and I think that's what the government should do. You're saying, if I understand you correctly, that there's, there's a quite a structural issue here. That is, we should be pushing people as far as we can off-road, onto rail, and within road, those who are still travelling at surface, it should be on public transport rather than private cars. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. And also we need to differentiate. There are two things. One is a car ownership. The other thing is car usage. And many countries have handled this differently. Countries like Japan, where the car ownership is high, but the car usage is low. And then you have Singapore, where the car ownership is controlled and car usage is quite high on a per capita basis, at least higher than Hong Kong. Whereas Hong Kong is kind of in the middle. So we have dabbled between, we tried to use economic measures in the past using first registration tax, the road tax, annual road tax, etc., to control the number of car population. But we have seen in the last 20 years, uh, the number of cars have just exploded in Hong Kong. And our system, our road space, can't really just take in that, that many cars. So we have to have economic measures in place to control the car usage in such a way that the more people use public transport on it. And we have a, one of the best public transport systems in the world, and there is no reason why. I mean, I, I, have, I am a car owner, but I still use public transport almost on a daily basis when I go to Sipan Chai or, or Central, or, you know, it's a, it's, and I live in Shatin. It's a fantastic journey. And I don't feel any any pain using that. Right, Michael referred really? to the very large number uh, increase. It's, it's interesting that uh, if, if you don't mind, uh, actually, I know the I know the speaker very well from the past. Uh, we all have uh, our own uh, preferred way of transport, right? Uh, some prefer public, some prefer private. All I'm saying is let's not get into that because. Uh, everybody compares Hong Kong with Singapore. Well, there are many things that Hong Kong people uh, much prefer uh, over Singapore model. Not everything in life is about efficiency. Life in Hong Kong is about choices. People who love Hong Kong over Singapore is because we have choices.
choices. So let's not get into that. But rather, if you believe that people who prefer certain modes of transport and they don't want to switch, which is uh, our common agreement here, I am not saying that I would encourage people to go uh, go from rail or uh, buses to drive cars. How many people do you think would switch their mode of transport simply because uh, they can cross the harbour uh, without uh, paying any uh, fare? You still have to pay the fuel for the car, and you still have to go through the convenience of meeting together and joining into a single car, right? So all I'm trying to do is to look at those who are destined to drive, they don't want to take rail and they don't want to take bus, how is it that we can allow them to continue uh, driving to work and by reducing the number of cars? Right. Now, what the government is doing now is just shiftly, simply shifting the traffic from one tunnel to another. And if the current lowest traffic tunnel is already at 98%, what's the point? That's all I'm saying. What about Mr. Jane's idea of having a dedicated lane in each tunnel for buses? Oh, I'm all for it. You can have two dedicated Thank lanes you. For Thank buses. you, Mr. Steve. <laughs> no problem. No problem. <clears throat> what we want is a dedicated lane for buses and a dedicated lane for three people or more free to travel uh, private cars and then leave uh, not too many lanes <laughs> for those who drive uh, in the private cars paying full fare. So that ought to be enough uh, pressure to force people to either, or incentive, to induce them to either take the bus isn't, or put three people in the car, right? But isn't there a problem, another problem, <laughs> that in fact then all the people, even with two or three in the car, they're going to clog up the end, a access roads immediately outside the tunnel, so even if you have a dedicated lane for buses, the buses won't be able to get through that scrum of, of other vehicles to get to their lane. Well, it depends on the design of the tunnel, I guess. That is something the yes, government and, needs to work out. And, and I mean, most of the tunnels, their approaches have what we call a thing called bus gates. So the buses can get a priority access to the tunnel portal. So most of all the three tunnels have that kind of an arrangement. Mm. Okay, I have a couple of emails here from listeners. Mark writes, address the source of the problem rather than a symptom. Traffic congestion is a result of too many vehicles. Number of vehicles per family should be capped. That from Mark. Is that is that a serious issue? One family owning too many vehicles? Michael Teen? <laughs> Hong Kong is Hong Kong. Yeah. All right. As I mentioned, we have our own ideology different from other countries. And uh, mm -hmm. I believe people have the right to own cars. You can charge and increase the first registration tax. Of course, it may benefit the rich. At the end, I don't think we should interfere with how many people own cars, but rather how they use it. Mm. Okay. I mean, I suppose you could argue that uh, there is a balance to be struck, maybe, between a, an individual's uh, right to own and use a car and the and the right it, of other individuals listen, to have a relatively congestion-free journey yeah. to work. Yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you ask a common citizen, they may even prefer limiting the number of flats someone can own rather than the number mm. of cars, because mm. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have enough flats to buy. So you start limiting everything. Is that the Hong Kong we know? Now, we've looked at this from the point of view of 
evening out flow or making flow smoother. But isn't there a case also for saying to people, OK, if you're prepared to pay more, you can shoot through the tunnel because there won't be congestion. So we'll have one tunnel with very high tolls and then they'll have one tunnel for uh, medium tolls and we'll have a tunnel for people who don't want to pay and, and want a very cheap toll. So like when you tr fly on an aircraft, you have first class, you have business class, you have economy. Which is what's happening now with Hong Kong. Mm. Exactly, that's what's happening actually. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's the cheapest. One, one point I would just like to make quickly is that we, we were referring to all the tunnels being on capacity, but that is only for a very short duration during the peak hour. Uh, there, the pricing, what it also does, it, it moves people away from the peak of the peak into the off-peak. So there is a bit more, the, the balancing is not just across three tunnels, balancing also happens across time zones and we get more throughput out of the tunnel. So just, just want to make that point that, you know, the tunnels do have capacity in the off-peak. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think this uh, issue of uh, electronic road pricing might at some stage uh, be, uh, be resurrected? Alok Jane, I mean, uh, for instance, to well, to we have this is uh, you know I always say this is one sensor. ERP is one thing mm. which is on an elliptical orbit in Hong Kong. It comes closer, then it goes away, and then it comes closer <laughs> and goes away, and um, <laughs> it, it, it never touches, unfortunately. So we have been speaking about ERP since 1980s, and and mm. we have done trials and we have done feasibility studies and and, and we have already spent I don't know 150 million dollar in in uh, over studying ERP, and, and obviously uh, the problem is not the technology, the problem is not that whether it should be done, it can be done. The problem is simple, it's a matter of political will, and, uh, and if the political will is there, yes, today with the technology that is available to us, you know, the, all these intelligent transport systems, implementing it is rather a piece of cake. It's more of an institutional arrangement that is a problem. I remember 40-odd years ago when it was being uh, floated no, around, one of the issues was uh, people, the government would know where you went. And, and if you got the bill uh, sent to your home, the wife would know that you were in the new territories when you told her you were in Hong Kong Island. Yeah. Well, government knows where we are these days. Yeah. There was privacy well, if issues. I can, if I can ship yeah. in yes, here, uh, whether the new administration is going to give up on ERP, um, I don't know, because government has always said that the whole ERP trial in certain parts of Central will commence after they build the, uh, <clears throat> after they take back the Western Tunnel and the bypass. So now the bypass is working. The only thing remaining <coughs> is when they smooth out the cross-harbor uh, traffic uh, across the three tunnels. I think there's still a chance the government should try it out in Central and see. Uh, everything, you see, the problem with Hong Kong is that we have uh, different kinds of consultation paper, and then you have first consultation, second, and everything goes from five years to ten years. Actually, I think that could be a bigger problem in Hong Kong. I think what we need to do is to reduce the uh, number of, uh, uh, reduce the amount of time uh, consulting everybody about everything and try to use, adopt a mentality of having trial uh, periods on any new idea and if it doesn't work, we close it down. Mm. You see, 
what happened in Hong Kong's past is that it seems like when government wants to do something, it has to be 100% uh, perfect and has to be doable. Nobody objects, okay? Uh, then you end up sitting there doing nothing and <coughs> consulting for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. But I think it should be, uh, we should enter an era where if you get to 80, 90%, when you figure out that it's roughly doable, let's try it out and make it clear that if it doesn't work, we, you know, shut it down and there's no loss of face with government. Right. And I think that's the problem with ERP. Nobody knows. And even with my idea of uh, uh, charging zero fare for private cars with three or more people, nobody knows. Mm. We can argue here for another 10 hours, 20 hours. Sure. What's the point? Try it out. Try yeah. it for three yeah. months. Yeah. If it doesn't work, yeah. close okay. it down. Is if it, it works, open more. There's an interesting comment on that from, uh, from listener Gene. says, uh, uh, Dear Backchair, I'm just listening to the suggestion about having more than one uh, person in a car when uh, crossing through the tunnel. Singapore tried this more than 20 years ago. The result was that it created a new occupation of people whose sole job was to sit in the car for a small fee, uh, cross the tunnel or restricted area, then get off and get into another car for the same purpose. <laughs> yeah, a lot of students were doing that in Singapore. They would just sit in the car, they'll go across the harbour with you, and or across the ERP gantry with you, and then they will get off, walk back, and, and just keep doing it. And Perfect, it no problem. That's what I'm saying. We can argue here and pick on those rare examples <coughs> and then go for a perfect model or just try for three months. If there's no reduction in private cars, shut it down. Okay. Right. Okay. An another so I completely agree with uh, Mr. Singh. That's here. the problem with I Hong Kong. Everybody yeah, Hong Kong has become very discouraged. We should try yeah. things you know, new things out, yes. Right. I completely agree. Right, good. Uh, James comments, uh, fiddling with the tunnel tariffs won't have any impact while the police ignore illegal parking. I think that's kind of another uh, issue there, uh, James. But uh, anyway, thanks for your email. Roy says, uh, uh, it's amazing to hear a discussion about cars with no mention of climate change. We need to use incentives to move as many people to public transport as possible. Uh, that's bringing in, obviously, the uh, emissions and uh, environmental and climate change uh, angle. But does that add to the urgency of the situation, do you think, uh, uh, Michael Teen, that, that uh, you know, we really should be thinking thinking about reducing emissions as, as part of this uh, overall strategy. Absolutely, 100%. Mm. That's why I'm all for phasing out uh, fossil fuel cars by 2035 and government mm. better start building these uh, uh, charging stations. And uh, every time in natural, when they come and ask for money to build a new house, uh, housing estate, I ask them how many uh, car parks they have and do they have enough charging stations. It's still not one-to-one. And they say they make the uh, provision for that. Then, if you make provision there, then why don't you put it in there in the first place? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you uh, to both of you uh, very much for joining us uh, on the program this morning. I had to bring the uh, discussion to a close. Uh, that was Michael Teen, roundtable lawmaker and member of the panel on transport. And thanks also to Alok Jain, CEO of Transconsult. Um, like I say, this uh, proposal is due to be put out for public consultation later in the year, so no doubt uh, we will be uh, returning to it. Um, but just uh, before the end of uh, back chat today. Uh, just some news of a slight change in our morning uh, output on Radio 3. As you know, for the past few months, between, um, between 8.30 and 9, 
the uh, the uh, that portion of uh, back chat is now dedicated to COVID news. We've called it COVID updates, but it's still really part of Backchat. Anyway, from tomorrow, uh, we're going to cease to do that every day, simply because uh, we're in a situation where uh, some days... Uh, the news relating to COVID-19 is not that much different from the day before. So uh, I think it was becoming a, a little bit repetitive. We will, of course, be paying great attention to the COVID-19 situation. And on certain days, it will no doubt be the main topic uh, for discussion of uh, Backchat. But we'll do it on its merits, I think, rather than doing it uh, as uh, a regular uh, daily weekday update and I think uh, I think Mr. Rouse you'll you'd be quite pleased about that I will I think it's a step in the in the right direction and then if I may say so somewhat overdue mm. if it's a real issue again let's have the whole show about it mm. if it's not a real issue it's just one other news item you know mm. and still this morning I know I wrote about it um, in the SEMP in the SEMP and on the website yesterday I got mm. a lot of people contacting me directly Mm -hmm. uh, just from the website one, and of course it's in the paper this morning. But again, we're still concentrating on the over a 1,000 a day, mm. whereas the key number is how many in intensive care? Yeah, and um, the answer is one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure, hospitalizations, ICUs yeah. and uh, cases and fatalities. That, that's what we know. And mm. if someone is, you know, if we had 100 cases and, and they all needed ICU, that's a, the start of a disaster. Mm. But if we have a thousand, which is the situation, or ten thousand, or even a hundred thousand, if they don't require hospitalisation and they don't require ICU, then move on. Yeah. <laughs> Life's too short. Yeah. Uh, we are very grateful to our, our very uh, knowledgeable and uh, eminent uh, guests, like, for instance, uh, this morning we heard from uh, Professor Malik Pieris and uh, Dr Raymond So, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to uh, speak to guests like that again in future. But, uh, you know, like I say, when the, when the situation uh, presents itself rather than doing it... it right, and, and Ben Cowling, who gave, gave us hours of his time. That's, that's, right, like that. that's right, who is also on uh, our, our Hong Kong Today programme this morning. Where is he now? So, uh, Benjamin Cowling. Yeah. Where? Is he back here he's or is he in, he's in Hong Kong? Yeah, he's in Hong Kong, I believe. Yeah. 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 Anyway, okay. Uh, thank you very much to everybody who wrote in. Thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, um, like I say, uh, uh, I'll be back with uh, back chat tomorrow morning at eight thirty, and we'll see you again soon, Mike. And uh, <laughs> tomorrow, just, apparently, you're, you're back. You're back <laughs> with us tomorrow. There, there we, there we are. Great. Okay. Uh, a quick look at the weather before we go to the news summary. Morning, Bruce. Sunny intervals, one or two showers. Top temperature today around thirty-one degrees. Uh, that's in the urban areas, uh, warmer in the new territories. Uh, moderate to fresh southerly winds. Um, the outlook. Sunny periods and one or two showers tomorrow, fine and very hot in the middle and latter parts of this week. It's currently 29 degrees, humidity 79%. The Diploma Yijin program is now open for enrollment. It is comparable to Level 2 standard in the Hong Kong Diploma of Secondary Education Examination in five subjects, including Chinese language and English language. The Diploma Yijin is also a Qualifications Framework Level 3 program. It gives you a recognized qualification to further your studies or apply for a job. Visit yj.edu.hk for program details. The new summary with Ben Chay. 
An independent China strategist Andrew Leung says, on balance, incoming leader John Lee has assembled a fairly good team. The team comprises incumbent officials, seasoned civil servants, and professionals from a diverse range of backgrounds. A University of Hong Kong epidemiologist 